Luke Mathers joins us today. 2018, he published his first book, uh, Stress Teflon. Thanks very much, boys. It's good to be here. This place is awesome. My work was really full on and I was partying way too hard and smoking way too much dope. And basically, my brain went into fifth gear. They put me in a padded room. I went to the mental health facility. We have this idea of this sort of nirvana, this perfect place where we want to be. And if I had that, everything's going to be awesome. And it's just not. Great Butt Radio, coming through on your wireless. <laughs> um, okay, we're sweet. Oh, good. Yeah. Red light, red light, red light. Red light. red light. Have we got four red lights? Four reds. That usually means fucking stop. <laughs> In a big way. Because something's wrong. But in this case, everything's right. Everything is right. We have the bloody great pleasure of having a legend in the studio once again for Trademark Radio. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you are on absolutely You like the fire, way I mate, rolled in with that one? It's steam coming out of your ears. It's a pseudo ephedrine. Now, uh, <laughs> Luke Mathers joins us today, um, and we're going to find out a lot more about him. This guy right here, he might... Find him knocking around Palm Meadows down on the Gold Coast, playing off nine, formerly six. He's let his game slide a little bit. Uh, <laughs> in uh, 2018, he published his first book, uh, Stress Teflon, which we're going to find out a bit more about. But most in- interestingly, formerly an optometrist, I've just been to pick up a new pair of glasses from Bailey Nelson, and he's uh, and he's given me the fit test and said that I've uh, passed with flying colours and don't look too bad. So thank <laughs> would, you, Luke. I would, I would say yeah, you've done it well, mate. Not you've too bad. Well. Jeez, that is, <laughs> that is, yeah. On that introduction, welcome to the studio, mate. Thanks very much, boys. It's good to be here. This place is awesome. <laughs> thanks, mate. It's thanks for thanks for coming in. The uh, clock is a new addition. Yeah, the clock and uh, warning on the wall as well. Warning, nice warning. Yeah, warning. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think he's gonna throw a little flip. In there. He looks great. He I looks would great. Pay so much money for him to bowl me a flipper. <laughs> One day. One day. The, I'm clock, sure the clock I picked up from our garage sale two weekends ago for yeah, about two dollars. Nice. You've got the crack just in the right spot. I know. So I he know. dropped it on the way in here. <laughs> of course he's yeah. But it keeps the time and it's also good for us finally because we don't have to be looking at the podcast machine to see how long we've been going for. So just so you right. know, Ed, oh, yeah, pretty sure we past. started it, yeah. Quarter past. About quarter past. <laughs> yeah. So. Hey, it's great. Well, yeah, Luke, thanks so much for coming in and coming out from the Gold Coast today. We really appreciate that. Pleasure, mate. mate it's good to be um, here. Huge effort. Uh, you can tell by the tan that you've been, uh, that you come from the Gold Coast, eh? Hey? Yeah, there's a lot of sun down there, a lot of beaches and stuff, so it's, it's not hard being me. Great little spot. Uh we were um, connected on LinkedIn. I uh, put a shout out a couple of weeks ago about some podcast guests. Your name was thrown up a fair bit, and uh, we connected. And great to have you in here. And I mean, your backstory, you were just telling us a little bit about it off air, you being one of the first directors of, of Specsavers in Australia. Yeah, it was a, it was a great opportunity because I, I owned one of their practices in the UK and I moved over there you know, back in the late 90s and did really well and all that sort of stuff. Come back when the Aussie dollar was a dog with fleas and um, and just, yeah, was just at 31, pretty much retired. So hence got the handicap down to six, which it didn't stay there too long. Cause, but one of, one of the things about that, at 31, you, you think, oh, I'd love to be you know, have enough money to be able to retire and all of that, and I did that. But by about 33 or 34, I was kicking stones. I well, wasn't... What, what were you doing? Like, you, obviously, you know, being a director of, of, of such a large... Um, you know, franchise, I suppose. It's a franchise, right? It is a franchise. I, I actually own the biggest franchise. Right, so okay. The, like, there, there's a whole, whole you know, super group. I, yep. I wasn't a director of that. I was a director of my one. So and I had the biggest one in the country. And you were running around, obviously, like a blue-ass fly running that thing. And then at 31, you're like, I'm, I'm checking no, that was out. that was later. That was my one in, in the UK, which is right, just a okay. practice there. So, and then came back here, and by sort of 33 or 4, I was, I was sort of fairly miserable. And yep. I'm kind of thinking... 
I've got everything I thought I wanted and yeah, it seems to be not. Something was missing. The thing that was missing was stress. I needed some things to fire me up. I needed some problems to solve. I needed some... Needed to think a reason to get up out of bed. Cause well, what, what was your day to day before you realised that? Like, what, how were you feeling the day in retired at thirty one? I mean, that's yeah. Well, the hustle is all your mates are at work, so you end up you end up doing things like playing golf and surfing. My, I had my daughter around about then as well, so that was nice. I got to be the dad that got to stay home a fair bit. And, you know, if you've ever seen me surf or seen me putt, you don't want to hold your self worth on how well I do back. You know, cut up cutbacks and how well I hold three foot putts. Your self worth goes down the toilet a little bit. So. It's almost one of those be careful what you want things. And I got what I thought I wanted because I'd worked my ass off for the few yeah, years exactly, before and yeah. worked really, really hard. And all you want to do when you've been working really hard for ages is think, oh, I just want to do nothing. And then you do nothing for a little while and all you want to do is do work. And I think we have this idea of this sort of nirvana, this perfect place where we want to be. And if I had that, everything's going to be awesome. And it's just not. You've got to be able to swing, you know. You've got to be yeah. able to go between that fully fired up and that fully chilled out. And we don't do that. We try and find perfect and stay there. Why, why do you think that that is why, what we're seeking or thought? Why do we think that's what we need? Yeah, really good question, Ed. It's, it's, it's one of those things. I think what we always feel like we need is the other end. If we're really, really running around with our hair on fire and stuff, all we want to do is chill out. Yep. And when we're chilled out for too long, all we want to do is fire up. And we don't ever get that let's just enjoy the swing, let's, it, let's enjoy rocking between the two. And I think when you start enjoy the, enjoying the journey, and that sounds like a bit of a cliche and stuff, but if you start enjoying the, the journey of firing up, but then deliberately making sure you're chilling out in a way that you actually really enjoy, to actually fill your downtime with stuff that actually empties your stress bucket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, finding joy in stuff is the best way to, to decrease your stress. And if you're just so busy working, I've got to get the next quote done, and I've got to get to the next job site, and I'm running late, and I'm, you know, you're kind of always running around with your hair on fire and don't take that time to, I'm going to really enjoy some time with my family. I'm going to go and see my mates. And I'm going to go and see my mates in a way that's not just see how many beers we can throw down. I'm actually going to go and see my mates and connect with my friends and all that sort of stuff. Then you can, you can start swinging between... Stressed out and, and chilled. So tell me, what year was that when you retired at 31? And not to try um, to, I'm to, not to old, let anyone so work out any age or anything. You can do the maths, I'm 50. Um, so that was, that was about, I retired I retired for the first time in 01. 2001, righto. What was I? Grade 6 at school. Yeah, I was um, doing about as much work as you were. Yeah, righto. So <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of support. I had high needs. <laughs> um I, you can't really – most people are only just getting their shit together, if at all, you know, in their late 20s, really, from what I've seen, from what I've observed, from what I've kind of, you know, a lot of people now – That's sort um, of the area, isn't it? Yeah. Aren't really sure. and But there's no rhyme or reason. There's no perfect scenario. But to be retiring at 31 seems fucking ridiculous. But was there an element of – I mean, when you said that you were retiring – what, what did your mate? What, you what did your mate think? Were you like? Were you phrasing it that you way? Like, no. Were you like? Oh, I'm done, or was it just no. a quiet thing? Fuck you, thought, you yeah, blokes! I can, I'm retired. <laughs> I can do it because what does no, it look it like, and what do you have to have considered at the age of 31 to make an official retirement? Well, most of <laughs> it just comes down to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But it's, it's it was never like I'm going to retire. It's just like. I'm not going to work my ass off anymore. Okay. I've worked my ass off for quite a few years before that. So, yeah, you, yep. you know, that shit doesn't just fall out of the tree. There's no lotto or anything. I had, yep. to, go, I had to work. I worked yep. really, really hard. But as hard as optometrists can work. Um, but, 
you know, it, it wasn't like I'm going to retire. It's just like I'm not going to work. And yeah. I, I think I ended up working a day a week or something like that. Just okay, so there was still something going on. There was still, I was, but yeah, very little. Uh, yeah, very little. I have this, like, I've had this perception of, like, retirement being like, righto, that's it, feed up, like, done. But actually, retirement for a lot of people means that it's not, I'm totally done. It's just, I'm stopping that nine to five grind yeah. and I'm just going to ease right back mm. and uh, and just, yeah, preoccupy myself with a day or two a week, this or that. Go, going back to your point before about people only get their shit together in the in their late twenties, um, you know, all of this was great, and I, the business I had in the UK was great, and businesses I've had here have all been fantastic. But in my late twenties, I far from had my shit together. At twenty, at twenty six or seven, I had a thing called a hypermanic episode because you, you guys are into mental health, so you know, if you want to hear a mental health story, I got a doozy. Yeah, um, smoking way too much pot, having way too much fun. I was a prick of a husband. I spent my whole time with with mates and single blokes and out in the cans and going to races and playing golf and all of that sort of stuff. My wife's Irish, so she moved over from Ireland. You know, followed me and we got married and all that sort of stuff. So we got married at twenty five, and all of our friends were single blokes. So I was a really shit husband. I was a really good mate, but I wasn't a very, wasn't a very good husband. And we were. About that far away, an inch away from getting divorced. And it was really, really stressful. And my work was really full on. And I was partying way too hard and smoking way too much dope. And basically, my brain went into fifth gear. Uh, if you heard of people who are bipolar, they have manic episodes and depressive episodes. Well, I basically just had the up and just you know, didn't sleep for pretty much two weeks, lost about 12 kilos. Wow, um, right. Was just, you know, let's do business plans for this and let's do business plans for that. At one stage, I'd been to our head office of the company I worked with and they actually said, look, I think there's something wrong with him. And they said to one of the mates, can you just take him for a beer and um, we're going to get some mental health people to come in and have a chat. Weird concept. You've got mental health people. Let's go and take him for a beer. But anyway, that's how it was back in the 90s. And funnily enough, we're sitting there and we had like ties and shit on and there was a couple of tradies sitting right next to us in the, on the next table and we just started chatting to them after a while and we said, you know, what did you think about us? And they've gone, oh, you, we thought you were white-collar poofters and we're just having a chat and all this sort of stuff. And when you're manic, you have this thing called manic persuasion where you can basically just talk people into stuff. And so I've gone to these guys, you know, I bet you some white-collar poofters fucked you over at some stage, haven't they? You know, there's something bad, you know, white-collar, yeah, they do all of that bad stuff. And he's gone, yeah, yeah. And I bet you you've got a really good idea that, you know, just never got off the ground because no one would believe in you. So well, I'm going to believe in you. You tell me what your idea is. Uh, long story short, about half an hour later, he walks out with about half a dozen coasters with the plans for a remote control wheelbarrow. <laughs> and he was going to revolutionise business, you know, building sites all around the country with his remote control wheelbarrow. And I'm just like, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And that sort of stuff. So I ended up, ended up going back. You know, he, he left. We left the pub after lunch and gone back to the, at the head office. And they basically had some guys come in and have a chat to me and say, you know, you're either coming with me or we're going to give you a jacket that buckles up at the back and you're coming with me. Yeah, so that that were my two choices. So that was so that was a two week manic episode. Yeah, and what was the outcome of that? How did you actually navigate that? Yeah, did you know you were in it? Um, yeah, I probably did. You you you're completely. It's a hypermanic episode, so you you kind of just under how high they get when it's fully psychotic. When it's fully psychotic, you lose lose sight of reality, and I. I I, I, I blinked a couple of times and lost reality, but most of the time I still was fairly lucid and knew what was going on. Um, 
So, yeah, you, you knew that you weren't quite right, but you're fucking loving it. It was really good fun. It was, it was basically better than any drugs or party you've ever had because your brain was just like, there was no breaks. There was no breaks on your brain. <laughs> that's yeah, right. That's so interesting. Such an interesting insight. What would have what would have happened if you kept on that path? Like, do they is there is there any yeah. way of knowing or? Well, then it then it starts turning into psychosis, and then you start losing grasp of reality, and yeah, you know, think you're gonna be king of the world and all this sort of stuff. You do you do think you're pretty shit hot when you're in that. Stuff. I've I've seen I've experienced one of my best mates went through yeah mania and psychosis, and mm-hmm. um, it's yeah not. Pretty, not something that you want to see. Ma- the mania side of it, from the person experiencing it, actually isn't that bad. For the for my wife, it was hell. Yeah, it was like it well, was it's super tough. It's all the behaviours and all the things that are said that are just you know these um like that feeling of grandeur or like being a you know some form of superhero or something like that. Mm. that things that are said that you know sound ridiculous to someone who's not there, but to that person, it's like a completely well, you, logical thought. And you also get that persuasion side of things too, like old mate walking out with his coasters for his remote control wheelbarrow. I mean, I convinced him that the remote control wheelbarrow was the best idea. Did he ever, ever. make it? <laughs> I have no because idea. Because the thing is, there are ones exercise. out there. Well, we've Don't been down to have one. We've been down to Trade Tools. Down yeah. There oh town. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've right, got a remote right. control wheelbarrow in their in their warehouse. Jeez, I'd love it if it was him. Wouldn't that be office? a great story? <laughs> I met some crazy optometrist dude, and he, um, yeah, he's now made his millions. He's the one that came up with this. Yeah, yeah right. So, so coming because this really interests me. Because coming out of that, how did how did you navigate that? How, what what yeah. did it look like? Did you have to did you have to have some serious therapy? Well, or was it just a no, matter of detoxing? A, yeah, it was a little bit of detoxing. They basically put me in a they put me in a padded room. So I went to the mental health facility. This was in Adelaide, and I lived in Perth at the time. What yeah. was that like? Um. They basically just drugged me out and I slept for two days. So I can't really remember much of that. It was pretty confronting um, (sighs) when you came out of that particular room and you're in in your room in this mental health hospital and the person in the room next door to you is mooing. And like there was (sighs) some kid with intellectual disabilities would come into him and just ask to borrow money to buy chocolate milks all day. So I reckon he had about 10 chocolate milks during the course of the day. They are delicious. You like what you like. But it was it was really strange talking to the psychiatrist because he would say he basically diagnosed me within about three seconds and said you're bipolar, and I went well I've never had a depressive episode but you're bipolar and every day he'd come in hey how are you today and I'm like yeah good day doc how are you and he'd say well you're still a bit high and I'm like well, I'm always a bit fucking high so you know what do I do with that so after about four days of that I've gone he came in and I just pretended I was depressed and he let me go home the next day. Really? Yeah, but I still wasn't well. I still, I still, my brain was still thinking things that, you know, would get stuck on stuff. And so you're in there for four days, two in the padded room, and then yeah, two. Yeah, so I was in there for a week. Yeah, okay. So I was in there for a week, and then then pretty much had a month off, and I was reasonably good by then. But that, you, know, you can you can look at all of these things, and it's one of the things about about stress Teflon that you can look at that and think, oh, poor me, I've got some mental health issue. But one of the things about mental health is you do get better. I mean, a lot of the time you get better and it's when you first get diagnosed with something or something like that happens. And that was just an episode. It turned out that was just an episode. I haven't had another episode since. They put me on lithium, which is what they give people who are bipolar. And I took it for about three months. And I just remembered every time I took it, it just reminded me that there's something wrong with me. And I didn't like that. Like just the physical taking of it, not the way it made you feel. Yeah, the way it made you feel probably was didn't, I didn't really notice much with that. Um... But I just remember saying to my wife, look, I don't want to take this anymore. And we had a chat to the doctor and I basically just 
just said, look, if you notice something that you reckon I'm going a bit hyperactive again, you tell me and I'll go straight back on it. And my wife's a really intuitive. She's a really smart lady. She's fantastic. And she just went, yeah, let's do it. And I haven't had – there's been a couple of times, you know, when things ruminate in your head that they start – you know, something rents a room in your head for free. That was the start of the episode. So I always get a little bit worried when that starts Like a warning happening. sign. Yeah. And I've, yeah. I've learned some pretty cool tools now of how to actually – almost sort of cognitive behavioural therapy stuff, how to, how to sort of rewind those things and stop, you know, stop something renting a room in your head for free. And this manic episode, was this pre the 31 packer up? Yeah. Yep. This was at 27. Okay. So then you've gone from there and you've... Hey, no. We were broke on the bones of our ass and all of that sort of stuff because we were partying pretty hard. Yeah. And then basically moved to the UK, worked my ass off for, for three years and... Still partying? Three or four years. Yeah, but partying within reason then. I suppose awesome. you got a different circle of mates around you as well. Yeah, at exactly. the time, well, if, if any mates at all, it certainly was the best thing that ever happened for our marriage. Oh, I um, you know, from a marriage point of view, it, it certainly solidified that. But uh, yeah, I, I just worked really hard. I, I went in and took over a place that was a dog with fleas and turned it into something pretty good and sold it at a really good time. And yeah, I got I, I got lucky, but I got lucky. You know, they talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. Three, those things. You get lucky. Your own luck. yeah. You get lucky, but you also are in the right place at the right time with the right skills. You got to do a certain right amount of things ethic. to lead you there in the nothing, first place. Yeah, right? nothing happens um, just by fucking pure chance. No, so I could, but but often nothing good happens without a little bit of chance too. So yeah, I yeah. kind of had both. Yeah, hundred percent. So it's okay. So you've had the manic episode, then you've gone and done this, and then retired. So. And you said it was about three or so years of just sort of doing one day a week and fluffing around. Yeah, then, pretty much. And what was the progression? Because I suppose like the euphoric feeling of, fuck, I am doing, I'm doing one day a week. I'm like, that'd be quite a high bit of euphoria. Like you'd be like, I'm fucking braining it here. I'm focusing do, yeah. on my golf game. I can do, I can go, yeah. I can do whatever I want. But then how quickly did it turn from that to being like, oh, fuck, this isn't really what I was expecting and it's not what I was, in, you know, anticipating yeah, it to be? Like, was that was it a slow progression or was it just sort of like one day you're like, fuck, what am I getting out of bed for? Yeah, there was there was a bit of a one. There was never a what am I going to get out of bed for. I'm a bit hyperactive anyway, so I'm always going to have something to do. So it was never anything like that. But I just remembered looking at my mates and the joy that they were getting from achieving stuff, you know, one of them owned a big timber company and they're like, yeah, we've just signed this thing and we've done that and we're doing this. And just how focused they were on what they were doing. And I just like, yeah, I hold a three-footer on the 17th. And it just didn't <laughs> But there was no one around to see it. <laughs> yeah. All my mates were all working. I was playing with three old blokes that were just about dead. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was – you know, we live in a – humans are – we're a meritocracy. We, we – judge ourselves based on other people. We, we can't pretend that we don't compare ourselves oh, to other people. Oh, fuck, can't. talking about that. So I was in the TikTok loophole, of the black hole of death on TikTok last <laughs> night. And it was this, mate, it was so bad. But there was a uh, video that came up. Algorithm must be working out what I like because there's been a few popping up that I've been enjoying. And one of them was a, um, a professor at Harvard. And it was um, kids, like I think it was like sophomores or whatever, the first year that they yeah. came into um, Harvard. Freshman? Yeah, and they were doing yeah freshmen, and they were doing like however they two hundred and fifty or whatever in this cohort. Yep, and they said right, um, there's two options. There's option A, which is you as an individual make one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and all your other cohort will make one hundred and fifty. Right. Or everyone in the cohort makes two hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. You make two hundred. What do you think right. they chose? Yeah, the one sixty one. 
ninety percent chose the fucking to make one sixty, and everyone else make one hundred and fifty. So it's not about what you. It's not about what you're making. It's what about everyone else is making, which is so fucking true. I was like, isn't that just the truth? I was. I was. Yeah, mind blown. I was like, one hundred percent. My my new book's actually called Curious Habits, and that's a curious habit. Why the hell would we do that? What's it the? Doesn't it, make, it does it not doesn't make, make a single sense. bit of sense. A but, single bit of sense. But we do it anyway. And Absolutely. There's a, there's a thousand episodes, you know, things of that. We we compare ourselves all the time, and when you're watching, and you got to remember too, you you need some stress. You need, and that's that was the sort of the the thing that lit the fire about that. And then fast forward a few more years, and you know, this isn't all about me, but it's going to be about me. Yeah, this, <laughs> um, this episode is about you. Yeah, yeah it's one hundred percent about you. <laughs> but. Yeah, a few years later, Specsavers came to Australia and I kind of went around the country and helped sign people up and drove around Queensland signing all people up for Specsavers and stuff. And, and that was great. We opened 100 stores in 100 days. It was the biggest retail rollout in Australia's history. All right, you ever tried opening a, a shop? It's pretty hard. They had a really big team. They had really big pockets. And yeah, 100 stores in 100 days. Biggest retail rollout ever. That was so stressful and so exciting. It was just amazingly good fun. And then got knee deep in it no one thought it was going to work everyone i remember i go go around to optometry conferences and see people i met that i tried to sign them up and they didn't say yes because they didn't think it was going to work and they just saw me and were like oh no i don't want <laughs> i don't want to see him that was a that was a bad decision not to do that and then looked around and a few years later i'm making truckloads of cash and all of that sort of stuff and all of that's really good and i kind of got a little bit eh, not getting into it not getting out of it just was, you know, I got to the top of the mountain again and the view wasn't quite as good as what you thought it would be. And so I went to my doctor and this is kind of, this is where this was born, where stress Teflon was born. Went to my doctor and he basically said, oh yeah, I, th I think you're a bit depressed. Here, have, a, have an antidepressant. So he basically gave me Prozac. Drive this into you. Yeah, and I wasn't depressed. I wasn't at all. I was still doing all the things that brought me joy. I was still getting joy from, you know, lots of things in life. I just wasn't quite getting into work. And so I took this stuff and it actually made me feel a bit better. I don't know, do you, do you want me to nerd out on what yeah, Prozac does? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? Prozac's a, a Nerd thing. out, my friend. Nerd out. Pro there's a chemical in your body called serotonin, which is basically the I feel good, I'm enough chemical. You, if you feel like you're shit and that things are no good, you don't have enough serotonin. It's one of the, one of the reasons for depression. There's, a, there's heaps of them. And so that what, what Prozac does is keeps the serotonin you do make in your system longer. I didn't know any of this at the time. I'd never studied this stuff. I had no idea. And then a few weeks later, I'm actually feeling pretty good. And I wasn't feeling bad in the first place, but I was feeling better. And so I decided to go and have a look and see what these, these tablets do and read all about serotonin and then looked it all up and then went, well, if it's the thing you get from doing something really good and putting your heart and soul into it, why the fuck am I taking tablets to do this? Why don't I just do, do things it. really good and put my heart and soul into everything? So I talked to the doctor and talked to my wife and said, look, I'm not going to take these anymore. I only took them for three weeks. And actually probably take three weeks to actually properly work anyway. So I don't think I actually even got any effect from them. So I stopped taking them, just put my heart and soul back into it. But what that one little investigation into what serotonin is actually took me down a rabbit hole of evolutionary biology, why we do the shit we do. And all of it, we haven't changed much in 10,000 years. Yeah, right? well that's the, the first chapter in your book. Yeah, yeah, we haven't changed much. So we are perfectly designed. You know, we've got little claws and little teeth and we don't run very fast. How the bloody hell did we conquer the world? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. 
And the reason we conquered the world is because we have these chemicals that like serotonin that actually pull us into our tribe, that pull people closer to us. And we have all of this stuff that's actually designed to keep us together and keep us alive in the jungle 10,000 years ago. The hassle is it doesn't work quite so well in a modern society we're comparing ourselves to people driving Lamborghinis and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of things in our body that isn't designed for the environment we're in. So we've got to learn how to hack that system. And that was kind of what we came up with with Stress Teflon, to work out how our stress system works and then how to use it in a modern environment. Yeah, because, I mean, like, reading through here, and I, I wrote a couple of notes when I read the first couple of chapters this morning, and, you know, one of the lines you say is, like, stress is awesome. Um, and happiness is a is a choice, not a destination, and that is sort of um, plays into Jared Gosson's when he was talking about you know success isn't a, a destination; it's it's the journey and enjoying where you're going. It's That's the old cliche. It yeah. is, but yeah. cliches are cliches for a reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If cliche wasn't true. No one would say it again. Mm. We say it again because it's really true. But there's also the part of it where it's not just the journey, you know, for no fucking reason. Like you've got to be doing some things right to put yourself on a path to, you know, to a certain place. You know what I mean? It's mm. like what you were talking about earlier. Like you weren't working your ass off, but you were, well, no, you were working your ass off. That's the thing. And mm-hmm. you know, that's how you achieve success. Like you weren't doing nothing, you know, you yeah. got to be putting yourself in the right position initially. You got to give a little together. Well, like you've got to have little. the right skill sets too. So you've mm. actually got to, you know, I, I've been, a f- I couldn't read until I was nine, um, in grade, back grade nine. I got eyes that go wobbly in different ways. So I actually couldn't read as a kid. So I actually thought I was dumb. Is that how you became an optometrist? Yeah, it was one of the, one of the reasons. I actually yeah. didn't find out my eyes went in funny directions until after that. I became an optometrist because a, a friend of my dad was an optometrist and he had a big boat. So I think that looked like it was a good idea. And I, I was going to be a doctor and then didn't want to get called out at two in the morning because something bad had happened. So I thought optometrist was nine to five. My mate and my dad's had a big boat, so it seemed like a good gig. So I did that. It was basically laziness. Yeah. I didn't want to But even at that boat. age, you're like, you're looking at the boat. You're like, I want that boat. What's he done to get that? I yeah, want well what we, he's got. We grew, out, we grew up out at the back in the ring and we had four kids and you know, we were by no means... You know, mm. top of the totem pole. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it was one of those things. I watched my mum and dad work their asses off and all of that sort of stuff, and they ingrained that in me too. So it was that wasn't ever an option. I'll work out. It was just that's just what you fucking do. Mm. When mm. I, I want to know when you were, um, you know, flat chat spec savers. Was were you enjoying that day to day? Like you said, when you got yeah. the hundred, you were. But at sort of nearing the end, was it like when you were like unpacking it up? Was it because you'd lost the love for what you were doing? So like going to work wasn't as fun. I. I, and it goes back to the same thing with stress Teflon too. You've got to have a challenge. Yeah. You know, life's, life's full of little stair, little staircases and you get stuck on a step and you get that itchy, scratchy sort of, I'm not, I'm not happy. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Yep. And the hassle with that feeling is that that feeling's either got to be your catalyst to I'm going to, okay, I'm going to change and I'm going to take a new challenge and I'm going to do something scary, which is what stress Teflon's all about. Or your other option with that itchy, scratchy, uncomfortable feeling is I'm going to dull it. I'm going to drink, you know, half a dozen beers and a bottle of bourbon every night or I'm going to take some drugs or I'm going to eat, you know, five banana nut muffins and three pies every day because that's going to bring me joy. Banana nut. I was going to say. <laughs> fucking wow. What an exotic muffin. Interesting choice. <laughs> the Brazil nut. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. we but the other one that we do when we get that that itchy sort of feeling is we pretend we don't give a shit. Apathy is the thing that comes up. No, I'm just going to go through the motions, and I don't give a shit. And that is just a recipe for misery. Fuck, I've just, been there. We've all we've all been there at some stage. But what we've got to do is recognise that 
that discomfort, that ants in our pants, that itchy feeling, and that okay, I've been on this step too long. I've got to I've got to up my skill set and do something else and be brave and go out and do it. If I fuck it up, I fuck it up. That's the key, though, isn't it? And it doesn't matter like what it is. That, yeah, what step you're stuck on, or whether it's a mental health challenge or a job that you don't like anymore. It's like recognizing first, like at least talking about it out loud, recognizing that that's where you are. That's the the, the key to levelling up in the mm. first place. And if you can get past that little first step, then you're on your way. Well, it's the realisation of, yeah, like you just said, the, the need of it. When you can, the self-awareness to say, right, oh, this is that again. That something's not right. Yeah. Like critically thinking about all the aspects of your life and like what it is, what components are at play here. And if it's a job, if it's a relationship, if it's financial situation, whatever it is, mm. at least being able to recognise that, okay, I, th- I think this is it. And I, now I'm in control to do something about it. Well, one of the things about that is action gives you answers. Right, you do something and it'll either give you an answer to say, yes, that was a good thing to do, or it'll give you an answer to say, geez, I shouldn't have done that. That was pretty silly. I won't do that again. But you're action. not going to know unless you take action. You've got to take action. And that's the hassle with getting stuck on that step. We get stuck on that, that step and we've been in the same job, doing the same thing, being miserable, going home and being a miserable prick to your family and stuff like that because you're not happy with work. You haven't got any challenges that are firing you up. And then what you do is try and, what can I do to feel good? And, and you pick something that really doesn't normally I was happen. literally just, because I was just riding the uh, TX Alliance deck before I came in here, in like an hour of psychology, for the same price of going and seeing a psychologist, private sector, you could buy six cartons of piss. Yeah. And none of the pain. Six cars. Not Bolter XBAs. You only get fucking two. Yeah, you only get two of those. Any other get a 16 fucking case carton. You know what I'm choosing. But like... Like but it's what we do. We're the, we're the most overweight, in debt, um, medicated, oh, we fucking addicted, suck. addicted adult cohort ever. We're so I'm, bad. I'm quoting Brene Brown there, so I'm, yeah. I'm getting all... Adult no, cohort. No. Yeah, adult cohort. <laughs> so we're, you know... We're do- not doing ourselves us. any favours. And we're not. And the reason we're not is because we're not being able to accept discomfort as being a, a cue to do something. You look at things like people are struggling with anxiety and... People always talk about triggers for anxiety. Oh, this triggers my anxiety. They use words like my anxiety. Anxiety's not yours. It's just something you feel. Like things like no one says, oh, it's my coldness. I'm cold. No, you're just feeling cold. That's interesting. It's not my hunger. It's like I'm feeling hungry. So instead of saying that triggers my anxiety, that triggers anxiety for me. Well, and even even I'd, you know, trigger you, you... Pull the trigger and whatever happens is done. You don't have any choice. I actually really like, and part of part of curious habits is going to be to, instead of being a trigger for anxiety, it's got to be a cue to get curious. Mm. Yeah, questioning. Just stop yeah. and think. Okay, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking it? Is it helping? But that that exact thing there comes from. Um, I've been having that since I read that book I was saying about the Undoing Project. Mm-hmm. Like that in itself, and just the way they talk about how nothing people do is based on statistics everything's just based off irrational thought and being like this is you know you hear something or you're around people and you get told something and then you just cling to it yeah you know what i mean and that's why people get caught up in these vortexes and shit online it's like the vegan activism the you know the feminism the toxic masculinity and you find you know? yourself in like an echo chamber of whatever oh, it is you're that like, you're into yeah, this is or like conspiracy theories or whatever it is it's like this is the fucking cold hard truth it's like it's actually, there is a truth. It's just like, this is the like the data the and the truth. science. Yeah, well, yeah. But it's like, this is the data and the statistics and stuff like that. Or even, um, and the way people react when certain things happen in their lives, sort of irrationally because it's, oh, you know, like they talk about in the book. It's like, if you're driving down the highway and you see a car crash, everyone slows down. Mm. Where it's like, well, 
it's just because there's been a car crash here, statistically, nothing's changed. You're still the exact same chance of having a crash in a car. Mm. Or if you're a drink- Yeah, but you've got to bloody see what's going on. You've got to slow down and get a good look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The but limbs like coming out the window. You, but I mean, it's it's when, when you see a car crash as well, it's a sobering thing for everyone where you think it's a reminder. Oh, yeah, cars do crash yeah, on the yeah. road and we are going fast. And it's like, oh, shit, someone might have died there. Fuck, you know, you better slow down. Like everyone just uses it. Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity little, to take little, stock. It's a little check-in, but the yeah. thing I think my, my point is is that it doesn't hold you to it. Like if if someone close to you dies from from something, it's just like oh god, everyone's worried about that for a. You mean because as soon so. as you've driven past a car crash, you're back up to one ten again. Yeah, it's you know, you, you're, you're just back exist. on your back on your on your on your horse. We go we go car. back to our defaults a lot. Yeah, you know, we have a default that's just the way. And you think about the way your brain gets wired. You 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 know the, your thoughts are a bit like water and electricity. They're going to take the path of least resistance all the time. And if your habit has been, this is what I do when this happens, yep. then that's what you can do. Yep. It's a bit like, you know, that becomes like your M1 inside your brain. And if it's taken you somewhere where you don't want to go, you've got to start walking another track. And then you walk another track for a bit while, and then you walk it for a little longer, and it's a two-lane road. And then all of a sudden, that becomes your default. And that thing, that, that road that was taken to you in the brain then goes away and you have a different one. It's you're still going to stay there. talking about like creating, uh, what is it? Like new pathways. Neural, neural pathways. Neural pathways. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and that's really... Really, for anyone that's under sort of 23 or 24, really be critical about your thinking now and make sure that, you know, we're making up stories in our head all the time. You've got to make up stories that help. Not being delusional and stuff, but if you're making up shit that's not helping, you're basically laying down this M1 in your head that's taking you places that doesn't help. Yeah, okay. But particularly when you're younger, when your brain's really flexible, you've got to, if you're making up shit, make up shit that helps. What's a definite, like, what's an example of something like that? Um, I, well, something like, you know, who's, who's guilty of procrastinating? Oh yeah. We're all guilty of procrastinating, aren't we? Yeah. Right. And what big fucking way. (laughs) Right. The king. What what procrastinating is, is something's difficult and something's invoking a bad emotion, an emotion I don't want. If I procrastinate and put it off, all of a sudden I've regulated my emotions. I don't feel bad about not knowing how to do that thing anymore because I'm over, you know, drinking beers or doing something else. And so what we've got to do is actually recognise that we've got an emotion. We're, we're kind of a little bit, I've got knots in my stomach about this. That's okay. I'm still going to stick with it and work out what to do. Yeah, okay. It's, it's taking it more head on rather than fending yeah. away. And, be, yeah. and just there, there's a line I use in, in the workshops and stuff that we do a lot and it just becomes a mantra. Is you've just got to get comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Yep. You've got to be able to say, okay, this, this feels, i got knots in my stomach about this. I don't quite know what I'm doing. I don't want to look stupid. I might fail. I'm okay with that. I think that's a, a thing that um, a lot of like contact sport teams talk about, like being comfortable when it's uncomfortable. Mm. It's just like that's when you know the really good sides are the ones when it, when shit is hitting the fan, but they fuck, like they sort of thrive in it. Yeah, I remember I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was when the Sharks won the comp, and it uh, taking drugs. No, yeah, fuck, uh, don't. Peptides. Don't pricks. It anyway, was peptides. Don't, don't me- don't I'm, a, I'm an Essendon fan in AFL, mention, so I hate that. Oh, yeah, you yeah. poor bastards. Yeah, no, but that was, um, I think it was Valentine or someone like that. And it was, um, they were setting up for a backline move at a scrum. And um, they were down by, I think, like two or three tries with about 20 minutes to go. And um, fucking Val or whoever it was was sort of like, oh, shit, like, fuck, what, you know, I'm bit concerned here, like, we've, we've got to win this game. Mm. I looked out to the side, and the, I can't remember who the other two players were, but they were sort of laughing and joking and taking the piss out of one another. He's like, oh, what, what are you doing? He's like, they're like, we're fucking going to win this. And he's yeah. like, what? They're like, oh, we're going to win. Like, they were just, like, they were just like, we're just gonna win yeah, they were just so 
fucking confident that they had it all going on. He was like, oh yeah, right oh. But that was sort of like being ha- like being comfortable in the discomfort. It was sort of yeah. like, yeah, fuck, we're, we're sweet. Like we but can we can own this. We've got to do that. It's and it's why we're the most medicated, addicted, you know, and obese and in debt thing because we don't actually get comfortable with that. Yeah, I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go out and spend some shit that'll make me feel good because the whole world's telling me I'm not good enough unless I have this. Yeah, flash ass car oh, for you like the ones out the front. That, oh but that, but <laughs> shout out Whipples and Macarena. <laughs> yeah, yeah, major shout out actually. <laughs> How much we spend are, on that? If anyone sees these youths, they're pretty they impressive looking beasts. We are so. I mean, we everyone has this conversation right now about social media, the neg, you know, the negative effects of social media. But like, so go one step above and talk about marketing in general. Mm-hmm. Like, we are just bombarded everywhere you, can, you look you, everywhere you look you can sum marketing up in one sentence i saw it on one of those you know those chicken those chicken cartoons and it has marketing in a nutshell you are not good enough yeah, so unless you have this thing behind me whatever it is you're not good enough and so we're getting dr- that drilled into us all the time and then you compare it to social media and social media we're comparing our life which we spend 100 percent of our time with with someone else's top 1% that's curated, filtered, beautifully manicured and made to look however it looks. And we're, we talked before about being people of comparison. We're comparing 100% comparing of our life with someone else's you know, highlight reel. It's going to end up with misery. I heard a great quote this morning by a guy called Johan Hari, uh, who's a guy who studies um, depression. He's an English fella. Rings a bell at. And, uh, yeah, he's really good. He, his, his whole jig is that, Depression's all about we're not having contact. There's too much loneliness in the world. We, oh. go, we can go into that in a little bit if you like. Yeah, as well. fucking oath. But one of the things he talked about was he talked about social media to connection is the same as porn is to sex. Yep. And that just kind of sums it up. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of connection and you feel like you're a little bit connection, but it doesn't make you really connected to someone. If you, it's better than nothing. Like porn is better than nothing. You know, you might get rid of a dose of blue balls, but you're not going to have connection <laughs> after porn. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. Right? And I think social media is a bit like that. You know, there's no substitute for the the loving connection you feel with when you're with someone you love. And porn's not going to do that, just like social media is not going to do that. Well, I think the... Um, Interesting the, point you raised after the last podcast we had. Yeah. <laughs> Bobsy Godwin, yeah. I, I think the, the, the irony is that I don't think anyone ever would have said one of their... That one of the highlights or the best times of their life was being on social media and, and interacting with something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're never your best No one's ever you. lying in bed thinking, I'm glad I watched that on TV. Well, that, oh, that so TikTok hole you went down last night was pretty good, though. <laughs> Fuck, I was in it. I was deep. I was deep in there. I, um... <laughs> a few hours going by. Oh, mate. <laughs> Boom. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting because the, the, the human connection side of it and the um, being able to hang out and... Like, I've said it on this podcast numerous times, you know, like... I like to like my my wife and I when we go and have date night, we just make a pack. We just don't take our phone. We leave yeah, our phone same. at home, and we just go out. And it's hilarious. <laughs> we enjoy like sitting at the table and like spotting other couples or other We're groups of phones. people, and like everyone's on their phone. And it's like really, um, it's really sad because people are don't know how to communicate with one another. Mm. Um, and they don't really get to know one another as as well because they're just fucking glued to their phone. But the other thing that the sad thing that I see is that when there's families and there's kids, like I can, I'm not a parent, but I can understand why parents give iPads or phones or whatever. Cause it just shuts the kid up, right? They just, 
It's instant gratification. Yeah. Kids crying. If I give them that, I know it. And they shut up, which is, I, I understand. But some of the best memories, me growing up, was sitting at the dinner table with mum and dad. Like when we grew up, grew up out west and they're like, we'd have, you know, shearers or we'd have contract musters or jackaroos and stuff. And we'd all sit at the table and like everyone was in the conversation. And like I used to learn shitloads of stuff because like I've never heard wow. of, That's, you know, I never knew like that was what that was. And, you know, like you'd sit there and you'd be immersed in a conversation. And every, now, every now and then I'm sure I fucking poked in there and told some story or hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that sort of but stuff. But that's probably what made you what you are now you sit here and you can engage with anyone and you can have a chat and you can get all these weird ass like bob that was on the on yeah, the podcast yeah. and all of these all of these people because you had that and one of the problems that we're getting is we're so stuck on our phones and we're becoming so insulated we go in behind our big gates into our mcmansions and that's where we stay that that whole african proverb of it takes a village to raise a kid yeah and we're not oh. we're not doing that anymore um Kids yep. aren't getting their grandparents to come and mind the kids. Um, I know, but I just can't. I, I can't. I can't understand why we're do, <coughs> why we're doing it like that because it's the fam family is so 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 important. But if you but it, like situationally, it's not always feasible for that to be the case. Like if you look at my say my brother and um, sister in law, for instance, who've got a one year old then in Sydney, <coughs> mum is a midwife. She still works seven nights a week. You know. Oh, it's a yeah. whole separate every, conversation. Every, everything in reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like no, the opportunity is there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I like it. There's so many, and we're so far apart. Like, so many families are so spread apart now as well. You but, know? but that's the white white culture. And, we and, just do that for And some that's the thing we look reason. at. Yeah, we just look at. Pack like, her up and leave. It's a good thing we got FaceTime, like, for that. Oh, like you can, when you yeah. can video call, like, that's pretty great, right? But it doesn't so yeah, replace. Even again, when you talk about connection, that's, that's your social media is to connection as porn is to sex. You know what I mean? It's. You don't want to talk about that with your grandma, but um, <laughs> um, but we're, we're not having yeah, we're not we're not having that that connection anywhere near as much. And the, I reckon a part of it is that we're not revering old people. We're not looking at people who are older and want to learn their lessons because they might not know how to use Snapchat and they might not know how to use something. We kind of write them off as not knowing anything. And those guys around the shear shearing table and yeah, all yeah. of that sort of stuff. Those guys had great lessons that you would have learned. Oh, shit, yeah. And we don't have those anymore and we need to. We need to be able to embrace intergenerations and have and be able to be interested in what grandma's got to say. Hear about, you know, during the war and all of that sort of stuff. You yeah. want to hear that stuff and we just don't anymore. But culture has changed so much where people are like commonly fearful of people that they don't know for any number of reasons what you see on the news every day. I actually think a bit of that is toxic stress because we're marinating in that stress of constantly comparing to each other. The one thing about stress when it gets toxic and when your stress bucket's nearly full, what you do is you become defensive and you become dumb. All right, You don't think straight. The part of your brain that works then comes offline because you don't need that to run away from tigers. All right, So that comes offline. And what it turns into is I'm right, you're wrong, fuck off. Yeah. All right, and we become very and there's no definite. reason. There's no well, there, well, often there's no reason, but we don't actually embrace the shades of grey. That oh, you disagree with me that Dan. Tell me more about why that is, and I'd really, I'd like to open my mind and be curious. Yeah, as well, what, why don't you fucking come around this side of the table, then, mate? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's what happens. But why do you think? Why do you think we've lost that ability um, to hear opposing opposing views and, and find somewhere in the middle? Why do you think that is? Because yeah, cracking question, Ed. It's a really good question because part of that is that thing we talked about before is we're not comfortable with discomfort. You can you can look at something. I've got this ingrained thought. This is what I think. This is right. This is black. This is white. This is what I think is right. If you come at me with another thing, that means I have to admit that I was wrong, mm. and I'm not comfortable with that. 
Whereas we can look at it like that and we can dig our heels in and I'm right, you're wrong, fuck off. Or we can kind of say, okay, yeah, that's a really good thing. Tell me more. Learn a bit more about it and have conflict that is actually productive. Yeah. There's there's a a guy called Adam Grant who's at Penn State in in the States and he he talks about – and you think about this on building sites and stuff like that, that you might – you can have conflict and we might argue about how we're going to do a certain thing. And if we can have a conflict argument about what that certain thing is and we can both give our opinions and work it out and be open to the other ones, we're going to actually end up with a better result. The hassle is that sort of conflict about a task – turns into I'm right, you're wrong, fuck off. And it turns into a personal conflict. If I've got a personal conflict with you, I'm not going to listen to your idea. But if we're having a conflict about the task and how to do the task better and we've both got respect for each other's opinions, that task is going to get done better and we're both going to be involved with it. Yep. You see that conversation happen a lot. I've seen it heaps on building sites. And then what happens is if you can't be bothered to have that conversation that you're talking about, and then something happens with the way that that person did that task, and then it ha- comes off. Oh, I told you so. You know yeah. what I mean. We should have. And then you got it. Like it comes b- back out again. Either way, you know yeah. what I mean. Like <laughs> we get more upset. <laughs> on you. More entrenched. On you. Yeah. We want to be right more than we want it to be good. Is it? Is it? We so want, say that again. We want. It, we want to be right more than we yeah. want the, the activity. This to be is good. an. This is an ego thing, though, right? Like this is yeah, a. Is it, it is. like to do with our? Like oh. our, our foundations, like our belief systems and our structures that like if, if, oh. if something, if one pillar is pulled out, then the whole thing comes crashing down or yeah, what? Possibly. I, I, think, I think it's, a, it's just that we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to say, well, Ed, that was a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was wrong about that. The way you're going to do it. I reckon that might be better. Yeah. And I'm open to that. And it doesn't make me bad at what I do. It doesn't mean I'm a terrible chippy or whatever it is. What it means is I'm open to actually improving my skills and, and listening to what you said and taking that on. What has just fucking tri- triggered, more well, not triggered me, but made me remember. <coughs> so I remember when um, you were um, having to look after um, Norcon there, remember? Mm. When all that went down. So we had... Backstory, there's no way in fucking hell our old boss is going to be listening to this podcast, so we can just free <laughs> reign here. I'd love it if you did. Oh, yeah, fuck. But um, so we had a boss. He – there was two bosses. One, um, he had a, a fair bit going on. He he left, but he was sort of the one that was running the show, right? He was always on, like you were talking about. He just threw himself into everything. as flat out. Um, and then it was just all too much, and there was you know a time where he had to step away. And then the other boss – he wasn't quite up to the task to, to handle what was going on. So Dan went in there and was, you know, keeping the ship afloat. Yeah. Um, but I remember we went and... Was he uh, grateful for that? This is the thing, right? So we <coughs> we went and caught up with um, our old boss and his old man who, fuck, yeah, on the level of blokes, he's he's a pretty rough old bloke. And um, I remember... We were in there and they're having a conversation and um, basically it was just running down saying like how fucked everything was and that he couldn't do it without me and you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was sort of like not thanks so much for fucking keeping this going yeah. for six months without me ever asking for it, like you just stepping up and doing it. Yeah. Um, it was just like, oh, I knew it had fucking failed without me, like you need me, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, wow. It was more important for him to be right than yeah. it was for his job then, to be good. Then for him and his employees to make it through and still be employed and his customers to have fucking jobs still going, it was more important for him to feel that we were all fucking shit ass and we were nothing without him. One of, one of the problems that we've got, particularly in, in, with Australian males and stuff, is that we have learnt leadership 
in a time where it was just fucking do what I said because I'm the boss, all right? The hassle is that doesn't work anymore, all right? And what a lot of places haven't worked out, whether it's building sites or, or you know, corporate hierarchies or whatever, is that the modern generation isn't going to respond to that, right? So you have to be able to change. You have to be able to change your leadership style in a way that's actually pulling them in and helping them see the bigger vision. And, you know, this you can look at, you can look at the generation of millennials and say, you know, they're, they're narcissistic, self-entitled little turds, and some of them are. If you go looking for that, you're going to find it, absolutely. But if you also look at them and say they're people that really want the world to be a better place, they want to make weird-ass looking high-vis so that they can talk Whoa. about mental health and help people, you know what I mean? That's a fantastic thing to do. They want the world to be a better place. They want to look after the environment. They want to help people and they want to make a difference. You're going to find heaps of evidence of that too. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, my age and older are kind of, it's really obvious to see the narcissistic ones that are all about them, but there's also this beautiful thing that happens with, you know, with teenagers and people in their early 20s where they're absolutely fantastic and ideological and amazing. It's an interesting insight and not to, not for an optometry pun, but, you know, it depends what lens you're sort of looking at yeah, things through, exactly right. doesn't it? Yeah, you like that, didn't you? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like You're the brains of the outfit, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> but it does. Like it's it's like you say, if that's what you're looking for, you're gonna find you it. are gonna find that. And it's so if I'm same. looking for ways to fuck it up, I'm gonna find ways yeah. to fuck it up. Oh, if I'm yeah, looking for ways to help Ed grow, I'm gonna look for evidence that Ed's growing and say, that was awesome how you did that. Well done, Ed. That was awesome. Let's yeah. let's see if we can find a different way. And then we're both gonna be open to the other person's point of view. And our end result's going to be better. Do you reckon anecdotally, like if, if that whenever people change the lens that they're looking through, that almost 100% of the time there's a, a positive outcome, there's a different outcome to what they were experiencing? And I mean, I know you probably can't... Uh, the, the, the basis of the question is that like we're talking about mindset and the way that, you know, people think about negative, you know, have negative thoughts that come into their head and start to control them or people look at, you know, for the Gen Xs, the Gen Ys, whatever they yep. are, narcissistic, all that, you you're gonna, and you're going to find, find those it, answers. Yeah. Do you reckon sub, subconsciously that's happening for a lot of us individually just in our day-to-day lives without oh, kind of realising it? Yeah, it is. And the thing, the thing about it is because as our, as our stress buckets are almost always full because we're not taking any time to just chill. We're constantly looking at our phones. We're waking up in the morning. It'd be on the move. You're, you're either waking up in the morning busy. and having a Everyone's piss or checking your busy. phone or you're checking your phone before you have a piss. They're usually your two things that you do, yeah. all right? But how hard is it to, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, charge my phone in the kitchen? Just go without it. Wake up and spend five minutes just lying in bed, just being alone with your thoughts. Now, you talk about things like meditation and stuff like that and it sounds all airy-fairy and touchy-feely and stuff. But what meditation does, because thoughts come into your head. If anyone can meditate and just clear their head, they're way better than I am. But thoughts come into your head. And when you're meditating, you take those thoughts somewhere calm. You sit with it and you get comfortable with it, which is why meditation works. It sounds like a wank. It sounds all touchy feely. Oh, no, it's great. But But that's the thing. It actually takes, it rewires your brain to go from stressful thought to somewhere calm. This needs an outcome. Yeah. All right, and if you've got yeah. that pathway, you can use it later on in life when that stressful thought comes up. If you don't have it, you're going to be reactive. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Well, oh. I, I, I want to know. Sorry, 
No, no, you're right. I'm away. I was about to take it down the path of the book. Yeah, yeah. So, I, mate, me too. Yeah. yeah. Hey, oh, God, same team. We, we same are team. so similar. You guys are just in sync. <laughs> you are. So, oh, you want to be mates? Um, <laughs> no, we're actually we're actually like this on the spectrum. Yeah. Right. Opposite ends. Yeah. That's yeah. why we complement each yeah, other. You do. Yeah. Um, no, I wanted. Yeah, wanted to talk about stress, and I mean, um, fuck, I have been majorly stressed. You know what I mean? Like, there's lots of times, and probably. To be honest, probably I've been the most stressed since we've started this business. Probably this end of last year, this year, I reckon, because it was sort of. So that's the story you're telling yourself. Well, I, I is that a story you're telling yourself? Well, it is a story I am telling myself. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I I've definitely felt more stressed, mm-hmm. right? And I think the thing is because we've got so many staff now, so fuck, got to keep all these people employed. Yeah, got to keep um, selling fucking product to keep yep. the lights on and also make our social impact. Um, you know, I've got to keep rocking up here every day and fucking putting in 110% to make sure everything's happening. Um, so like I am probably keen to know what your, you know, stress, cause you used to talk about how stress is awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. And like I, you know, after reading the beginning of your book, I'm like, right. Cause I'm labeling stress as a bad thing. Yeah. Obviously, I need have to- a, Just have a listen to the way you described all of that. Yeah. Right. You can look at it, oh, no, I have, to, I have to sell enough product to leave the lights on. You can also look at that as I'm going to build a business that's going to be good enough to feed these families. Yeah. All right. And I have the privilege of being able to lead these people and I have the skill sets and I have the open mind to be able to do, to be able to get people to help me when I need help. And I look at this as, you can look at, one of the things we talk about in the book is the fork in the stress road. You, you're going to get stressed. It's going to come there no matter what. Your initial response is always that stress is a threat. Right? And that kept us alive yep. when we were in the jungle. We needed that. Stress was always a threat to start with. But most stresses we don't go, they're just a challenge. And the moment we reframe it and say, this is a challenge, how am I going to do this? And talk to ourselves. When we use language, the part of our brain that deals with stress and the part of our brain that deals with problems link up together and you actually find solutions. So by having that chat to yourself, it's okay, okay, this is, yeah, this is something that's hard. Okay, let's work out how we're going to do it. Yeah. And that's the fork in the stress road. You're going to either go to a challenge or a threat. So I suppose the way you're talking about it, it's, it's rather than um, sitting and dwelling on it or thinking that it's bad, it's accepting that this is the reality and that something needs to be done to make it happen. Yeah. What can I do to make this, yep. this happen? What, who can I bring in to help with this? Yep. What skill sets am I missing that I need to upskill? Yep. Rather than saying, this is getting bad, this is getting bad, look how bad it is. And then all yep. of a sudden I told you we were going to go broke and we go broke. Yeah. Rather than sort of saying way down the track, I'm going to get the smart part of my brain online so that I make good decisions. Yeah. And I'm going to be open to other people giving me advice because I don't know everything. And those people learn. Those people actually then upskill and they get better at what they're doing. And then when the next challenge comes, they treat it like a challenge, not a threat. Yeah. All right. And the moment you do that, the smart part of your brain interacts with the emotional part of your brain and you make good decisions. I wonder if it's got also anything to do... Well, when you were talking about the Norcon story back, the building company we used to work for, when I stepped up in there and I was running that show, fuck, I was stressed. Like, oh. I, was, I was bad stressed. Like, not... Yep. And I, the, I would like to ask about the different kinds of stress, but mm. I back then I was bad stressed, anxious, sleepless sleepy, nights. Yeah, all of that sleepless stuff. nights. Looking back um, now, it was... You were fucking not even the same. Oh. Like, it was fucking bad looking Com- back now. Completely ill-equipped to do the job, but also my reasons for doing what I was doing, I thought were, you know, bigger picture, you know, someone has to do it, I'll do it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But then I look at what we've got here and what we've built here, 
And there is stress, but it's a different kind of stress. And I just think, fuck, this is awesome. I'm just like, like it's so like there's always what a do you new think it is? What do you think is so it's, awesome I, I about this? I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I think got, I think, I've got an idea. I think it's because well, there's a couple of things. I think I think Ed and I were definitely meant to do like we our paths crossed for a reason. You yeah. know what I mean? Not to get too deep. <laughs> But the You're way allowed to get deep. There's a little bromance going on. No, but oh, the mate. way I'm but stroking the, his leg. The way that we came to even know each other was stupid. Let alone work on the same site together, become mates, have a whole series of events. Build that's this, led which is to just this. Amazing. You know what I mean? So like, there's a deeper belief in me that like a lot of things I've been through in my life have led to to this and that. So there's a, so there's a deeper belief that everything will be. You know that that we're on a we're on a fucking journey here. You know what I mean? We're on a ride. We've done so much already. And we've got so much more to do, and that's great. And I know that together we can do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've always talked about with the, our partnership about how even when we used to work on the tools and when we were saving cash to start this whole show, you know, some days I'd have the shits or I'd be what not not on. Yeah. And on those days he'd pick up the slack and vice yeah. versa. You know, we're always sort of just doing that. Yeah. And um and that's such an important thing to for me to recognise and for both of us, you know, yeah. because it's um to have that, it's fucking cool. Yeah, you know, the f- it's it's a different kind of stress. It's yeah. a, it's it's more of a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And and we've got the foundations and the team and the structure here to be able to face that challenge head it's on. You know, great great language you use there, the foundations and the team and and the structure. Because when you look when when I talk about stress Teflon. The three things that you need is you need the safety of a tribe to have the safety of a tribe. You need pride from contributing. You need to feel like you're making a difference. Now, if you guys were just selling weird-ass looking high-vis, yeah, that'd be cool. But the stuff you're doing to help mental health, to, to start conversations and all of that sort of stuff, that's the, the bigger, better offer. That's the bigger, the bigger picture. And when you've got that, that sort of North Star, that thing that I'm really aiming for, that's a massive stress relief. That takes out a whole bunch of things. There's a line, you know, nothing new has been said in the last couple of thousand years. And there's a line from Seneca, one of the ancient Romans. And he said, if you don't know what port you're heading for, no wind is favourable. All right? You guys know what port you're heading for. You know you want to sell a shitload of shirts. You know you want to do some really cool things for mental health. And you know you want to get people to, blokes particularly, to start conversations that are going to help. You know, that's a really good North Star and having that North Star is basically like when your stress bucket's full, you quit. You want out, all right? What you're doing with that, seeing that North Star is like pouring a bunch of stuff out of there and making room to be able to do some good shit. Does that make sense? 100%. Absolutely. So, like, I'm, I'm just, just hanging on to every word. Oh, it's, <laughs> so am I. That's a great Seneca. Like that's an awesome quote, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, a, it's a bit, there's another one, you know, that, that whole, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. It's, yeah. a, it's the same sort of thing that you've got to have that bigger picture. You've got to have that. And one of the things I do in my, in my coaching thing is we come up with what are the characteristics of you at your best, all right? And um, went through a long process. Started with, with my daughter. We kind of, I remember having a chat to her when she was 12 <laughs> and said, you know, when are you at your best? What do you like when you're at your best? And she's gone, oh, I'm really good when someone's a bit sad and I'll go over and make sure they're all right and I'll make sure they're okay. And I said, well, that means you've got empathy. You're empathetic. That's fantastic. And she said, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm that. And I'm really good if I'm really shit at something. I keep working really hard and I might never be the best at it, but I always try really hard. And I went, oh, that means you're tenacious. So 
my 12-year-old daughter sitting there in front of me and her things that she prides herself on is being empathetic and tenacious. And I'm just like, yeah, mic drop, job, job done. I'm <laughs> yeah, like, parent of the proud year. Proud dad moment. Yeah, look yeah, at yeah, me. Yeah. I, I tell that story occasionally. I just get little tingles up my spine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's still like that now. She still prides herself. She's 18 now and she prides herself on being tenacious and empathetic. And what we do in our, in our workshops and our coaching is we work out what the characteristics are of you at your best. And me personally is I'm curious, creative and generous. So if I'm being curious and learning new things and finding out how stuff works and writing books and all that sort of stuff and I'm being creative about how to, how to explain things differently and how to, how to help people in different ways and being generous about helping people, I'm as happy as a pig in shit. Say I'm fighting with my wife you know, and, my, and I, I give that person an alter ego. His name is Carlos. Better, the better version than me, name is Carlos. And long story behind that. You can read that in the book. But I asked myself, what would Carlos do? And there's something about that that you're looking for that North Star when you have a really clear idea of what you are at your best and all you've got to do is ask what that person will do. It gives you a, that sort of helicopter view of the situation and you actually come up with better ideas. So say I'm fighting with my wife. Am I being curious about her point of view? Am I being creative about finding a solution that we both like? And am I being generous with my time and my energy and my affection? <laughs> and almost, yeah, it plays into everything. Yeah, almost invariably I'm not. <coughs> and everyone's going to have, every person that I've done this with, and I've done it with hundreds of people now, come up with a different thing. But all of them, we ended up, end up writing their three words. There's a big process to go through. We write, write their three words. We give them an alter ego's name. And they go away with a really clear North Star of what the best version of them is. Is that the place to start? Is that I think that's where I start with, with, all, with all of our workshops and coaching and stuff. Yeah, we, we work out what everyone's individual. Because you see all the, uh, all the cliched, like, and not to brush them off because they are kind of true, but they all still Like we cliche. said, cliches are cliches for a reason. But the whole thing about, you know, um, you can't expect to, to be in a happy relationship unless you're happy within yourself, you know what I mean? Mm. Like those kinds of things, you know what I mean? But it's all, well, it all sort of... And no, I'm not quoting anything there. It's yeah, probably a shitty Sounds example. like a very loose quote. But you know what I'm talking about. It's all about, you know, the, the, all the, the phrases and the sayings you see that about it starts with you. The ancient philosopher starts. Bob from the pub. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> the bloke with a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that whole sort of idea that it kind of starts with you is having an understanding of who you even are yeah. and then understanding who you are. Is, no, is ho- where you're going you is exactly are, right. You are at your best and that's what you're talking about. And probably not enough people... A, have ever had sort of like, you know, people around them giving them positive affirmations or reassuring them that, you know, they are actually good and worthy or whatever. But then secondly, a lot of people probably have put the time in to think about themselves. Well, what, what, are, what are my values? What are the things I find important? What are my non-negotiables? What are, what are the things I do that bring me joy? I know every single day I'm going to get up and I'm, I have a spin bike at home and I ride that for an hour and I read something. I don't really want to do the spin bike, but I can get pretty fat if I put my mind to it. So I get on that every day and I read. And every single day I start my day with learning something new. All right, And then you be, it becomes a, a – one of the things I call it with that, that finding Carlos is they're your, they're your identity goals. That's who I want to be. And when I'm 80 years old, I still want to be curious, creative and generous. I don't want that to ever end. And so we, we, look, we set a lot of goals that, you know, I want to have a, a house paid off know by whatever i want to have a deposit for a house by next i want to retire at 31 i want to retire at 31 (laughs) but but then i did that and i was miserable yeah right so those goals are okay but they've got to sit underneath the goals of the sort of human you want to be 
and be, being able to discover what that sort of human is and having a really crystal clear vision of these are my goals, these are my beliefs, and this is who I want to be, man, that takes out so much stress. So if you sort of base your life and your expectations of life and your goals based around the best person or the best version of yourself that you want to be well then it doesn't necessarily matter what you do for a living because that might just be impermanent well that is impermanent and well, and and that you you've know. got to be able to reframe what you do for a living so that it fits into that like i was kicking stones for the last two or three years i was doing optometry all right if you ever had you've had your eyes tested recently yeah we, he's blind mate, you seem to enjoy fitting my glasses yeah. to me just before <laughs> we square on <laughs> I've asked which one's clearer, this one or that one. I've done the maths. I've asked that question nine and a half million times. Wow. All right. That's pretty boring. All right. But if, and if I, and you talked about lenses, looking through certain lenses and stuff before, you can look through the lens of, oh, that's really boring. But if I go into my day of optometry, and I still occasionally do a day here and there, every now and then, and if I look at it in as, I'm going to be curious about this patient's problems. I'm going to be creative about finding the best solution for them and I'm going to be really, really generous with my time and attention and energy. All of a sudden, Carlos is turning up to do the eye test. He's really engaging with the person and he's loving it. And I'm doing exactly the same thing that I was kicking stones about and bored out of my head. But because I worked out how to make what I'm doing align with what my values are, it actually becomes less stressful. Yeah. So I, I've just written down here, tell me if I'm fucking way off. Um, <laughs> If <laughs> you just come but up like, with your three no, words. No, 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 no. I'm saying like happiness, right? It's it's not it's not somewhere. Like happiness is being self-aware, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just taking what we've learned in this podcast. Yeah. Happiness is being self-aware, surrounded by people that you love in an area that's safe, right? Is that yeah. around about what happiness Safety is? Safety of a tribe and pride from contributing to the tribe. You've got to feel like the, the world has to be a slightly better place because you're in it. So, so you need, yeah. So you need Let's to have a think about that for a minute. Is the world a better place because you're in it? You too. Is the world a better well, place? Well, I because fucking hope so. You would. You're going out, you're getting people to start conversations yeah. about mental health. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. selling some weird ass looking high vis. You've got fucking awesome trucks. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you nice. know what I mean? So the world is a better place because of you two. And that's a stress, that's emptying stuff out of your stress bucket. But yep. So when you're saying that it gets full on here and it's really hard and I've got to keep the lights on and I've got to sell it, yeah, that's okay because you're actually doing good stuff, is emptying it out. When your stress bucket gets full, you quit, but your um, is the world. So it was is the world a better place because you're in it. That's true for everyone in their own little realm, in their own little world, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone has family. Or most people yeah. have family or friends or if colleagues. If you're in the midst of a, a really bad depressive yeah, episode, the answer to that is no. Yeah, hundred percent. They, they don't see it. They, and, and yeah, that, okay. And that's when you know that you've got a mental health problem. If you're sitting there saying the world is not a better place. But the other the other side, and that's that's when you have a proper depression and mental health episode. But what are you doing to actually make the world a better place? Mm. Are you getting off your ass and doing something? Are you going and volunteering somewhere? Are you helping mow the lady next door's grass because she's old? Yeah. I mean, are you doing those little things? Are you picking up some paper that's that's on the ground and putting yep. it in the bin? Yeah, you know, and we don't notice that where we have a, a thing called a negative bias is we're designed to see the negative, the things that's going to endanger us, and that makes sense. And when we're living, going back to that ten thousand years ago, we're not designed to take a notice of the little things that we do that help people. You know, I'm going to just pick up those tools and and put them over there so Macca doesn't lose his shovel. You know, whatever. 
but we don't take notice of those things, and we need to because they are actually the, our pride from contribution. They're the things that we're doing that. But that that that, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast in regards to what you're looking for, mm-hmm. yeah. isn't it? It it's is. like you're, you you need to switch your mindset from being like, oh, these are threats and this is bad, to this is an opportunity, this is good. Yeah, and right? but you've got to. We're not designed to notice the good things that we do. All right, that's not the way. The, it's not the way okay. we're hardwired. We've got to change the change yep. the software to do that. Okay, and we've got to just take a few moments and and take some gratitude. You know, when you're when you're walking through the Serengeti, anxiety and being on edge and stuff was probably really helpful. Things like gratitude and. And that sort of stuff probably wouldn't have helped you much then. God, I'm thankful that lion's running over towards <laughs> me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm really walking down the street. You know, yeah, fucking flip so, flops. So on. stuff that we're stuff that we're hardwired for actually isn't helping us in in today's society. So we've got to do it on purpose. We've got to change the software in our brains to actually make us more aware of that. But that's you're talking about like survival mode, right? Back in the day. Yeah. But now we've got systems and processes, and you know. Social yeah. social structures that, that's that putting us in survival mode. That that's elevating our cortisol level. That's our elevating all of our stress hormones. So our body doesn't know whether we're stressed because a lion's coming at us, or whether we're stressed because we can't pay the mortgage. They they feel the same. By we're just okay. biochemical bags, right? And our bags the same whether we're getting chased by a lion or whether we can't pay the rent. We don't know the difference. The hassle is the lion comes and goes away, and all of a sudden we're safe again. And we're okay. We still gotta pay the fucking rent. And that's why okay. we've got to be able to put those things apart and know how stress works, which is why why I wrote Stress Teflon to actually, if you, know, if you can't win the game if you don't know the rules. Yep. And what we do in Stress Teflon is teach you this is how your stress system works. You can do with it what you will, but this is how it works. At least you know how your system works. And it's not there to say do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be okay. You can work that out yourself. But you've got to know the rules of the game. You mentioned before toxic stress. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I wanted to ask you about the kinds of stress. Mm-hmm. How many kinds of stress are there, and what's good stress and what's bad stress, oh, and, and or is it not a blanket? It's probably not as blanket as that. Yeah. But to, to sum it up, probably the quickest way is, is good stress is the thing that fires you up, gets stuff done, and then goes away. The bad stress is the stuff that just keeps lingering, that just stays there, and you, you can't marinate in stress all day. Stress, basically, what it does, it turns off the things that you need to get away from tigers. It, it turns that stuff up, so you need your heart rate to go, you need your blood pressure to be up, you need blood to go to your muscles, that's going to be good to get away from tigers. Um, but what it also does, it prioritises things. So you don't need your digestive system to work. Ever notice that people with like irritable bowel syndrome and stuff are all stress eggs? All right? Their bodies, their bodies said, okay, we don't need to worry about digestion. Well, I'm too busy worrying about X, Y, and Z. All right? You don't need your reproduction system to go. You're getting stressed, really stressed. You're not going to be as horny. I mean, you want you want to you want to make more sweet love to your wife. Try and do some things that make her less stress. <laughs> She'll be way more likely to be amorous then. Um, you don't need to fix parts of your body. Your body doesn't go into repair mode when you're when you're full on stress. It's too busy dealing with whatever's going on. So the, you don't fix that heart valve that needs fixing. You don't fix that knee cartilage. All right. So stress prioritizes things. So you've got to be able to swing and go from chilled to fight up. So how long would you say? And again, probably not a blanket rule, but if stress is lingering, how long is too long? Yeah, it's a bit of a how long's a piece of string that one. Yeah. But it's but the thing about it, you can be in the most stressful time. You might have a, a sick parent or you might have a sick child or something like that, and that's really stressful. But that doesn't stop you going and and lying down on your back and breathing into your stomach and, and spending ten minutes 
just to make sure your head can can empty a bit out of its bucket. You can still do that. The stress hasn't gone away, but you've told your body that you're okay for a little bit. And that's that's that just sounds like too simple. But what it does, it gives you some room in your bucket so that whatever else comes at you, you can still deal with it. But that plays into, um, yeah, in the beginning of your book, the that Kelly, I'm going to say her name wrong. McGonagall? Yeah. Yep. I was going to say McGonagall. Haven't you seen Harry Potter? Yeah, but I, can't, I didn't see how it was spelt. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> mong. But um, talking about her research here and that stress is not the enemy, the belief that stress is the enemy yeah. is the enemy. It's and a great like, TED Talk. If you ever want to watch a TED Talk, Kelly McGonagall, Make, Make Stress Your Friend, was one of the first things I actually watched when I started researching this. It's a great, yeah. great TED Talk. Yeah. Um, she's, written, she's written about three or four books, all of them. What, one, do, we, one what do we do before TED Talks, by the way? Yeah, not everyone likes it. TED Talks, can, they're weird. They're oh, there was, a, yeah, there was a TED Talk the other day about TED Talks. Yeah. Did you see that one? I have seen that one. And the guy, oh, mate, it's so true, though. And he's, like, talking about how they come out and they'll be talking to you like this. They're too and manufactured. They, yeah. and the, They're good. Mate, and, and, he's like, and he's like, he's like, what I'm saying right now means absolutely nothing. And I'm going to pause you, But now. you're sitting on every word. And now I'm stopping. And now I'm looking at this. And you're like, this is a huge fucking problem. How did I know this is a problem? Oh yeah, the way yeah. You look it up, it's really cool. But but, but, the, but the process to get on them is fucking insane. Yeah, it is really hard. I, I thought about trying, but it's like no, nah, just way too hard. But they're not. I don't know. I I I've watched a lot of them, and the good ones are really really good. But so many of them just feel manufactured. Yeah, and I'd much rather listen to listen to this podcast and oh, and talk you. to you guys. So. Yeah, yeah. I also um, feel like you're the kind of bloke, much like I know we are as well. When you have an opportunity to stand in front of a crowd and, and talk for, you know, a short amount of time. You, you don't want to have rehearsed that talk no. 20 times at home. Well, you need to, you need to you know, know your enough. material. You need like to know where you're going. You obviously know your material and know, know where you want to take it. But you, you know, I think as soon as you start to manufacture, like a, stick to a script almost, that's when you're going to fuck it up. Yeah. Well, you talk about good stress and bad stress. That, that feeling like standing backstage. I, I do a lot of public speaking. So you're going out and you're talking to rooms full of people. And you're backstage and you're kind of, okay, yep, let's get my shit together. I don't want to get to calm. I don't want the butterflies in my stomach to go. I want to go out there a little bit jazzed, a little bit fired up, a little bit excited. So you know you're bloody alive. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But you look about everyone, when they get nervous with something, they like say you're about to – I used to vomit before rugby games, all right? (laughs) And you can – and probably because I looked at it as a threat because I was really bad at it. But we all try and go from you know one one corner where we're full on stressed to another corner when we're really calm, and all we need to do is go from stressed to excited. The biology of that is almost yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, we got to yeah. do is again look through a different lens. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? And they're all very similar, like um, adrenaline. Yeah, biology stress, of it's the same. The, um, yeah, what else? Fear as well, like those mm-hmm. fear and excitement are almost are almost identical. Yeah, that feeling about getting on a roller coaster. It feels great. Love it. You wouldn't do it. There's a thing called benign masochism where we do things that feel bad, but they actually feel good, like eating hot chilies and stuff like that. I'm a benign masochist. Yeah. <laughs> I so just found something out. <laughs> but, but we actually like that. And basically it, it goes back to exactly what you said before, Dan, about being able to look at, look at it through another lens. And we've got to do that with stress. Um, I, I really want to challenge you, Ed, to be able to turn around the story you told about this yeah. place. And catch yourself next time when you start saying, oh, I'm under so much stress, it's this, that, and the other. No, you get to do this. You get to, you've got your North Star. You guys have got the thing that you're after and, you, 
and you're you know, pinning your ears back and, and going for it. And yeah, that yeah. is the biggest stress reliever there is. So the th- things might be hard and there's going to be obstacles. But if they can be, if they can be seen as challenges, then you're, you're kind of halfway along the road and you've got that North Star of who you want to be and where you want to go. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, well, and the, and the funny thing is, in my own head, I've been like, I've been trying to figure out how I can rephrase this because I know what, how it needs to look, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's still, I still catch myself going back into those spirals. You know what I mean? Like today we've had it like a, we've had a good day today. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday we didn't have a great day, but it was a long weekend. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's understandable. But it sort of plays on your mind. Oh, I've, have we fucked something up here? What have we done wrong? Why isn't this working? You know what I mean? I'd, even that, I would, I would say that, well, what can I learn from that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean? so I, just, I, just I, try and, just try and catch yourself with that language that, you know, that we're making up stories. If we're going to make up stories, make up stories that help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, I, I mean, yeah, uh, the, the ironic thing is I sort of, I knew that, but I wasn't, I wasn't implementing it because I think it was easier to be in that other cycle, if that makes sense. The other sense. cycle is your default. Yeah. It's just yeah. the way you go naturally without yeah. thinking about it. At some stage, you've got to use that. I'm thinking in that shit way that's not helping. I would go, what would Carlos do? That would be the language <laughs> I'd use. And then yeah. I'd turn it into a different way. I love Carlos. Carlos yeah. is awesome. Carlos. Yeah, Carlos is the world's most amazing man. Yeah, right. All men want to be him and all women want to be with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so it's so interesting. Um, all of this, everything that you talk about, I could I could keep talking to you for, this is one of those ones. Yeah, I know. know, it is one of those ones. But I, I mean, we'd love to... Yeah, chat about how we can get you in and chat to our, our staff and our team. Um, yeah, well, I, I do that for a lot of companies now. We go we go in there. We, we There's a few different ways we can do it. The, probably the best one is we can have a two or three day retreat and you actually oh, go, if you can go. If you can go away somewhere, you basically leave all the other stuff behind and then you and then you you go through almost like a rites of passage. I actually did a, a rites of passage leadership training course this weekend. It's amazing. And you go in there with looking through a certain lens and we're almost going to optometry you and send you out with a different lens. And if if you can immerse yourself in that for a few days, if you can get the time off to do that. It's an amazing thing. We're actually doing one in July with um, down on the Gold Coast and we're, you know, we're going to get 20 or 30 people together and we're going to have a, a stress transformation camp, which is going to be pretty amazing. So Yeah, cool. Amazing. How do you – I've got another question, sorry. Shoot. How do you, when you go on those three-day camps or when you have these kinds of conversations with people one-on-one or otherwise and you put them through the intensive, let's change, you know, let's change our our thinking styles, like let's, you know, change our lens, that's everything that you talk about. Yeah, there's a process to that. You can't just go in and okay, we're going to change. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And you you have to open people's minds first. You have to let them sit comfortably with, okay, there's some things I've been thinking that, been thinking for a long time that aren't serving me. That's okay. I'm going to sit comfortably with that. The pe- people that come, you know, th- then spend this time with you, are they all there of their own um, choosing? Yeah, it's a really good question. The ones that are there of their own choosing get massive amounts out of it. The ones that are get f- most don't get forced by their employees, but that that kind of you know, can be perceived as another work, work thing. bloody fuck. Yeah. One of these things again. No, but bloody hanging. I don't want to spend any more time with Jenny. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> That's my exactly. braining. <laughs> yeah, if I have to spend a day with Bob from accounting, I'm going to yeah, do yeah. something. Until you actually find out that Bob's a real loose unit on the AAA yeah. and you're oh. like, holy shit, Bob. What are you doing? <laughs> hey, we, should, we should sit closer together in the office, Bob. If only I knew this about you. <laughs> but there's so many elephants in rooms in offices as well. And, and a lot of it comes out. Remember that conflict stuff we were talking about? If we're having conflict about a task, that's okay. And you want that. The moment that disappears, all you've got is apathy. People don't, I don't give a shit enough about you to argue about this with you. 
know what I mean? When you've got that, it doesn't work. So to be able to turn conflict into something that's actually okay and the stress of that to be something that we're going to use to come up with better ideas rather than it being, I'm going to stonewall you and put up walls because I think Dan's a dickhead, so anything he says yeah. might be the best idea in the whole world, but it's going to fall on deaf ears with me. Yeah, it, it, you've got to be, it's got to be constructive but have like a, you know, like a central positive type outcome, I suppose, for whatever's going on like it can't yeah the, the stonewalling fucking doesn't get anyone anywhere and we'll do it that, that's another one of the one of our curious habits it's a curious habit that we do and it's it goes almost like that procrastination i'm going to stonewall you because that's going to regulate my emotions yeah yeah this yeah this you've said the word a few times today apathy and mm-hmm. it's such a when you talk about it and explain it it's very common isn't it should we, should we explain it? that apathy, yeah. apathy is basically the assumption that things aren't going to change and I can't do anything, so I'm not going to give a shit, is the, is the gist of it. And it's kind of a, um, not a, well, it is a cop-out, isn't it? Oh, but it's also like a... Not, ca- not caring is, you know, that itchy thing where, where we're talking about going up onto the next step, that itchy, scratchy, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in my own skin feeling. And your choices there are either to, to numb it, distract yourself, Pick up your weapons of mass destruction and look at your distraction and look at your phone, or to not give a shit. And if you not give a shit, that regulates your emotions. So I actually don't feel that stressed about this because I don't give a shit. Yep, you're and dropping. And that's a really toxic way to live your life. You can't do that for long. Well, because yeah, because what happens? Like you get miserable, and then what happens? You do you just you just go down a, a decline and find <laughs> yourself at a at a point in time and look you back end, and think what you the end fuck up did I do? Digging a big hole, you end up being a prick of a person to be around, so no one wants to be around you. You end up lonely and miserable. So so, so the best option is to is to always always have an open mind and always try to realise that maybe you're not always right yeah. and that you can be wrong. And no, there you, are but other, you're other you're other fucking good at that. I'll give you a, a leg up here. You are very good at being very open minded. Because I'm always the one where I'm like, nah, fuck this. And you're like, no, 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 no. Pull it back, pull it back. But the saying fuck this is basically your way of regulating your emotions. Oh, like, definitely. I've had enough. My bucket's full Because I'm, I'm peaking. Like, I'm I'm redlining and I'm like, fuck. I'm you're not, the calm one, eh, yeah. Dan? And well, de- that's why, that, uh, that really is why we work well together. <laughs> because if I do that, he'll just, once we change direction and find that new target, he'll just go. He'll, he's just like, righto, this is what, and he'll just, and, and I'm less like that. So, like, I... This wouldn't exist without either of us. You know what I mean? Basically. <laughs> like there's no world in which anything of any of this exists without either one of us. Mm-hmm. So that's great. I think it's a fucking awesome thing. Isn't that thing. awesome that you recognise yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Like I've, it's, I've had yeah. A, a lady who I worked with for almost my entire career here and she we did a personality profile. You know, those things you fill in and, yeah, what would you do here? And she actually thought she'd be a smart ass and do it the opposite to what she normally did. And she actually came up with my personality profile. But what we both – so she, yeah, she was complete opposite to me. But she filled all of my cracks. She was the yep. one that, that all of my inadequacies, and I've got heaps of them, she was awesome at. And I really appreciated her for that, just like you appreciate Ed for what he brings. And you appreciate you know, the, the, the love that you had when you said that just then. was just like, I really appreciate that Dan's so open-minded and he does that. Yeah. And isn't that amazing to have in a partnership? You can't get that when you're stonewalling. You can't get that when you're having personal com- personality conflicts. Yeah, but I think that's but I, but I think we've learnt that through <laughs> fucking cliche, but learning more about ourselves a hundred percent. You know what I mean? And being able to have the ability to, to be like righto. Well, I'm. I think the ability to say I'm good at these certain things, and we'll stick like I'll stick to what I'm good at. And you stick to what you're good at, and it'll sort of play off one another. Mm. I think that's important, and not trying to not trying to make him like you. 
No, because like, fuck, there were plenty of times that I'm like, because I'm like, mate, fuck, this is how you need to fucking do it like this. Like, this is what your day needs to look like. But he's a major procrastinator, right? And no, I'm no, easily like, distracted. Is that the same thing? Very, yeah. same very thing? much the same thing. So, he's, like, he's Dan, I mean, excitable, Dan, excitable. Dan, Dan is the, yeah, I think the, the, Hey, the, something shiny. The way, no, <laughs> mate, that's how I describe him and his, like, his day to day. Like, there's a, like a laser pointer with a cat. It's like, oh, fuck, it's over here now. <laughs> and off he pops. Hey, just give me a laser pointer, yeah. I'll be good. Yeah, yeah, so I just laser at the computer. But oh. that, but I, like, mate, there were plenty of times and I'm like, holy fuck. And I'd come home and I'd vent to my wife. I'm like, fuck. Like, Dan, he just can't, like, when you were doing the podcast, I'm like, he just can't. Every Wednesday, he's always fucking late because he d- leaves it to the last minute because he gets distracted all week. You know what I mean? Like, it was every week. And then I was like, well, what's the fucking point? I was like, he's not obviously not going to change. I was like, let's just embrace the way this is now. That's how it- no, but exactly. Well, it, exactly. It. But I think that the awareness of understanding that and being like, righto, because he's fucking... Is great at what he's good at. at. Something. <laughs> I don't, don't know what. No, no, no. You know, you know what you're good at. Like Dan's got the empathy and the the calm mind and the, the ability to rationalise things. And I'm the fucking bullet a gate, flat out, hundred thousand miles an hour. Go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And that's why it plays off well another uh, off one another. But I think my my point is is having the self awareness and understanding that you don't need to be good at everything. And they it, don't need to be like you. No, 100%. 100%. The other side is once you understand what you are good at, it's it's okay not to be good at the other stuff. Like mm. It's okay. Like certain personality types yeah. are just suited okay. to certain things and that's perfectly fine. So what you've just described there is you have the safety of the tribe and you have the pride for contributing and you have honest self-awareness. So that's that's the three parts of stress teflon. You've actually got that in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's, so that, that's, that's what handy. you need to make stress not stick. Actually, anyone under 25, Teflon's the stuff they put on fry pans to make stuff not stick. Yeah, if you've watched right, Dark... Is, so it da- is it Dark Waters, the one with... Um, what's his name? Ruffalo? Ruffalo? What's his name? Yep. You know the guy? He's the Hulk. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, have you seen the movie? The one no. about Teflon? No. Oh, got to watch it. Dark Waters. It's not the, about, oh, um, no, it's a, is it a movie or like a documentary? Yeah, yeah no, it's a movie. Oh, it's, right. um, it's the... Yeah, about basically makes things not stick. So yeah, we're going to yeah, make stress not stick. Yeah, um, it's, it's the sh- it's the shit that scratches off your fry pan after <laughs> yeah. it's been through the dishwasher or use metal utensils. Yeah, oh my exactly. God, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, that, I've done that. But yeah, the and the other part of it is as well that you can ask for help for those parts that yeah. you're not good at. One hundred. That they're the bits. That's where you, that's where the mindset needs to be. It's like identifying what you are good at. And so I'm trying to be a hero. Where the where the bits aren't, you know, you're a bit, yep. you know, deficient. One part, of, one part of the stress response is we actually secrete a chemical called oxytocin and oxytocin is part of the stress response and it's actually the chemical that you get when you hug people yeah so basically what it's doing is saying you don't know how to do this you're stressed go and find someone in your tribe that does and embrace them and get them to come and help so there's our bodies have got lots of little intricacies and little diff, little weird ass things that once we actually know the rules of how all of this stuff works we can actually recruit some of them to help us in those situations yeah. So that feeling of being anxious and uncomfortable also has an element of I need to pull people in. But if you haven't gotten the habit of pulling people in, it doesn't work quite that way. So you've got to understand how some of these reactions in our bodies work. And when you do that, a lot of this stuff just doesn't stick anymore. Like I'm, I know that you know that if you've got to come up with a different idea and you're stuck in your head and you're stuck in your way of doing it, I'm going to go and see Dan because he's got a different skill set. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The... We're just about to wrap up. I'm just looking at the big grandfather clock. Yeah. We're cracking it. How long the, are we meant to go for? The, we're not. There's no. There's, there's no okay. time limit. You don't, limit, you don't put a time limit on a fucking good conversation. No way. Yeah. You know, put put that in your book, Socrates. 
Uh, um, oh, <laughs> quote of the day Yo, put that in your book Socrates uh, but but just to come back to a Socrates quote yeah it was Socrates wasn't it know thyself uh no the one about the path every road when you don't oh, know you your sail. destination you're talking about the, de- the port oh uh, that was Seneca and, Seneca and when you don't know what port you're, you're heading for no wind is favourable and the other one every road if you if, if you, you don't, don't know, know where you're going every road leads you there yeah is that okay? Is that is it? Can, <laughs> it, can, can you yeah. take that? Yeah, one of two. It's ways? also that Robert Frost quote of you know, um, I took the road less travelled and it made all the difference. You know, there's lots of those things that you know those things are cliches for a reason, like we like we've said. But you know, you don't always have to know where you're going. It's just to be comfortable with. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put a time frame on it, maybe, and just yeah, I'm just gonna go and because I'm con- I'm convinced like on a number of occasions in my life I haven't known where I was going even when we started this business I didn't know what but, was going to come but one of the things you know about I mean? that all of that sort of we'd look at it I didn't know how we are going to start that business I didn't know what I was going to do for a job I didn't know that's okay what you do need to know is what sort of human you want to be you do need to know what those identity goals I, I want to be I want to be curious creative and generous I know that and it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I'm going to work out a way to be curious, creative, and generous. Identity yeah. goals. I love that. I uh, like we've t- we talked about it obviously a lot earlier. You've brought it up again, and it's, it's really struck a chord with me. I think it's really fucking cool, and I don't think enough people put the time into well, to understand that. And that's something I'm like, I believe that I know a lot about you know my identity, or the person I am, or who you know when I operate best. But you know, I'd always like to the, do what, more. What are know? the characteristics of you at your best? That's the stuff you got to know, mm. and. And when we go through the process of finding Carlos in our workshops and stuff, everyone walks away with that. They walk away with an alter ego. So when they need to ask themselves, you know, how do I fix this problem? I ask, what would Carlos do? And it, whenever I've asked what would Carlos do, the answer is instant. Don't have to think about it. I just, I'll, I'll do the right thing. I'm going to do that. And it, it just, it's instant because they've actually put people in fMRI machines and they've looked at the parts of the brains that are lighting up. And if you say me, I, and all of that sort of stuff and speak in the first person, the fear centre of your brain, and you talk about something distressing, the fear centre lights up. If you talk about yourself in the third person, the actual front part of your brain that does all the, all the heavy lifting and all the hard work, that actually comes online. So by talking to yourself in the third person, what would Dan do here, or what would Carlos do? Here? I was going to say, so it is just talking to yourself. These are internal thoughts. Yeah. You're not like, you're not. Yeah, you, don't not bring, you have to you're pocket not, dial Carlos. You're not being like LeBron James. You know, if that's the best thing for LeBron James, and that's what LeBron James is going to do. <laughs> that sort of stuff. It's exactly not like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all a lot of those sportsmen do that. It's yeah. a, there's a thing called the alter ego effect. Great book if you want to read read a book called the alter ego effect. And it's basically, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those really high end. You know, if this is the best thing for Tiger Woods, then... Yeah. He does speak like that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, you, a lot of them do. Um, LeBron's the king of it. LeBron, yeah. in every in every interview you hear with LeBron James, it's like, yeah, that's what LeBron James is going to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, that, yeah. and that is the, uh, what, you know, the kind of, one of the character traits that makes a champion. And it's also one of the character traits that piss people off about champions as well. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, tenacity? That, yeah. like, uh, that, but they're yeah, so self-aware. Yeah. They, they know when yeah. they're, they, they know, know when they're on. Are. They know what the, they know what makes them tick. You know, like the, you might watch the, the Michael, Michael uh, Jordan, Jordan documentary. Yeah, he cried. Like, it brought him to tears, that, yeah. that part, when he was like, this is, you know, if that's what... That's a really... People don't, yeah. That's a really interesting one. That I, I watched that documentary, and that came out, you know, two came out every two weeks or whatever it was. Fuck, it was so annoying. Oh, just, put it out. Out. just put it out. Binge this. I'm going to yeah. binge it. But, um, <laughs> Do my I head actually, in Netflix. 
It was a really interesting one because it was one of those ones where you didn't want it to end because it was just so enthralling. And I actually started reading uh, Eleven Rings, which is Phil Jackson's yeah. book. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a, a bit of a closet Buddhist. I'm a bit of a, you know, like to pick and choose from all different religions and stuff. And one of the things that they didn't talk about, who was the captain of those Bulls teams? I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> was it a white guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, Jordan was the captain up until they started winning them. When they won their first one, and was the first one Phil Jackson was there, he actually made Bill Cartwright, who you only see a little bit of in the, in the documentary, he actually made him the co-captain. Okay. All right, so oh, the Jordan, big bald-headed, white bald-headed dude? No, no, big... Big black fellow. They called him oh, was it? Bill Cartwright. He was the... He was the Wires crossed. They made him the co-captain for the first three years. And it goes back to you two being complete opposites. Jordan had the drive and the do this at any cost, follow me and I'm going to lead you to the promised land. Bill Cartwright was touchy-feely. He was that sort of, you know, you okay kids. He was really nurturing. And he... Jordan missed that. Jordan, you want to have a good leader. Jordan got away with it because he's a fucking unicorn and he could do things no one else could do. And people try and emulate how he was and to be a good leader. And they're going to fail because they're not fucking unicorns. All right? But what the, the reason that Bulls team worked is because Phil Jackson was smart enough is we need to balance that. And he made Bill Cartwright a co-captain. and He looked after the Yeah, interesting. And he was that nurturing The yin and yang person. type. Yeah, yeah exactly. Inside. And then in the last three, Scotty Pippen took that role. Uh, so yep. what they did is exactly what you two have done is they found people that had opposite skill sets and put them together in a place of responsibility. Yeah. All by accident, by the way. Phil Jackson. This one, it? anyway. Phil Jackson was inspired. Amazing, like, amazing I, book if you want to read it. Eleven Rings. Yeah. And I, he talks all about – and then he talks about – we talked about the Black Mamba earlier. We talk, talks about Kobe Bryant and, and how him and Shaq didn't quite have that. They didn't quite have that. I'm I'm loving the other person's skill set, yeah. And they were a bit more dysfunctional. They still won five rings, but <laughs> they were a bit more dysfunctional than what the what the Bulls were. But As a leader, he was just so. I mean, a pretty deeply spiritual dude, like Phil Jackson. Yeah, yeah Phil yeah, Jackson absolutely. was, and I um, yeah, watching that uh, watching that whole series, I was like, he was actually made coach of that team the day that I was born. Is when that, that happened, right? I was like, I saw that date come up, and I was like, bugger me. Do you know you you never know like. What happened on the day that you were born, like the news headlines mm-hmm. or whatever? But Phil Jackson that, became coach. Phil, of the Bulls. Phil Jackson became coach of the Bulls. Yeah, you told go. me that. Tenth right. of July, nineteen eighty nine. I was like, "Fucking hell!" <laughs> there you go. How about that? Me and Phil must be meant to be <laughs> mates, <Yeah>. mates. <laughs> oh, that's great. He's a guru, though. He's oh. he's one of those ones that you look at, and he just he's going to find inspiration wherever he can. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be on mm. the back of a cornflakes box. He's going to find inspiration, and he's going to work out a way to. If he hasn't worked out a way to get to you, Ed. And to make get the best out of you, he's going to keep looking. Yeah, well, that's and, and they're they're the best well coaches and leaders, aren't they? And they, yeah, t- they often are. talk about um, you know like Wayne Bennett and, and how he is just such a he's not the um, like the greatest like, technical coach, <laughs> but like he's such a, a people person. He gives a fuck. Like you know that you hear about players how they're like you know he ask how their how how family is, and you know if, if someone in my family's sick, like he's often you know he he deeply cares about people mm-hmm. rather than everything else and that's where the community and the camaraderie and the and the leadership sort of comes from because there's that level of trust and it's sort of it's not just about sport it's it's about care and respect and sort of the love you've got for people yeah is there a leadership void on building sites around the place oh, massively but that's but but the issue is people how, how do we fix that well the issue is that people don't know what leadership is and people aren't getting taught and i think probably it could be a cop-out but i don't think there's fucking very good leaders to look up to anymore 
And they, also, we don't have great leaders. The main issue is, I believe, is that you can't have the, a king of the trades. You know what I mean? You can't. Who is that leader? You can't tell the electrician what to do because he's better at electrician. Exactly you right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's who's the and there's always the, the, uh, to the day we die there'll always be the debate about who's the king of the tradies and the answer is the chippies. <laughs> it always has been, but <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, um, someone out there just <laughs> yeah. Someone just switched spit, off. Spit spit their oak milk across no, the dashboard. But I suppose I suppose <laughs> that's, that's probably a, a good thing. <laughs> that's the thing on a building site. Yeah. There is is always so much going on, depending on the size of your site. But, there's but I, always I think there's, there's something to be said for investing some time and some energy into stuff, into learning how to lead. Oh, and, and oh, I, I, there. most definitely. There's definitely a lot of building sites out there with fucking awesome project managers who know how to communicate and know how mm-hmm. to listen and understand the, pro- you know, done their homework and understand the plans and the processes that need to... There's, they exist. Mm-hmm. They definitely do exist. So I don't. It's probably a generalization that there's no good leaders, or that there's not enough good leaders on building sites. But there is definitely a lack of yeah of leadership in in a lot of situations, and particularly for apprentices who are looking up to guys and setting bad, you know, not great habits early on, and teaching you know shortcuts and looking at you know just listening to negative approaches about life in general from mm. the weekend and getting up the piss and hitting the yeah. tab like there's there's, def- the tab. there's definitely there's definitely the toxic side of things mm. but there's also some really fucking awesome sites out there with some really really great leaders you know and we see it in the trademark community like we see it all the time in businesses who wear our shirts mm-hmm. and it really seems to be the businesses who take on you know the the responsibility to give a shit about the mental health of their team you also see, you also see a clear distinction in those businesses who who run a better op- uh, operation. They're open minded, sort of care. They care. They care about change and improvement and wanting to be better. That's that. They're they're the people. The biggest thing from you know I've had years of running businesses and stuff, and the the biggest thing if you if you can take nothing away and don't learn anything else about leadership, you've got to care and you've got to show you care. It's, it's fine to actually care, but you've actually got to show people. And people have got to know that you've got their best interests at heart. And then they'll walk over hot coals for you. But you've got to actually show that. And not just do things to do what I say because I'm the boss and that is good for my ego. You've got to be able to show people that you care. That's what Wayne Bennett does. Yep. That, and that's what all good leaders do. They, they kind of know they know how to care and show they care. And I honestly could not have believed that more until the journey that we've been on with Trademark and seeing some of the results, seeing some of the... Overnight shifts in culture and attitude. From I care about you. Here's a F- from here's from a shirt, from a conversation. Yeah, it's something wow. as simple as a shirt. You know what I mean? Like we talk about it, and we've seen it so many yeah. times. I, I have to I have and to I'd, take yeah. my hat off to you too. It's it's an amazing concept that let's just <laughs> let's do something simple as do some really fucking ugly shirts, <laughs> um, but to get people talking. And you know, there's one one of the things about blokes is. If you have a think about it, if you've got something on your mind, something's really stewing and you just don't know how to deal with it, as a rule, we probably have two types of blokes. We go to one bloke and we say, this is happening, this is this, and they'll just go, oh, shit, that's no good. Yeah, that's terrible, that's terrible. And if you've got something rolling around in your head, going to that bloke and he just says, that's terrible, doesn't really do you any favours. No. A little bit of empathy, but doesn't do you many favours. We all know this, the other bloke on the other side of that, when you say, this is a problem, X, Y, and Z, and he just goes, just fucking do this. We all know that bloke? Yep. All right? And I don't want to do that, and that's not going to help, and I disagree with you. 
where is the person in the middle that will listen to it, make sure they know that we understand. Yeah, I, I get, I've got that empathy. Is this the problem that you're feeling? Yes, it is. Yeah, I understand why that is. Have you thought about looking at it this way? What would happen if you did it ex- this other way? And that almost an empathetic alternative. And yeah. as mates, we've got to... We've got to talk to each other in a, in a cold state where nothing bad's going on and to be able to say... And I, I have a thing um, with Nick Selko, who I wrote the book with. We, we had a thing we called the chat. And the chat is basically when I'm in an emotional old brain shitstorm and I don't know my ass from my elbow and I'm stressed out of my head, I'm going to ring you and I'm going to say, I'm in an old brain shitstorm and I'm going to outsource my smart decisions to you. All right, And what you're doing then is you're actually asking for advice you're soliciting advice you're actually wanting advice and then that advice is actually going to get heard whereas when you get unsolicited we've all, we've all been given unsolicited advice that might have been <laughs> the best advice in the whole world if you're not ready for it but yeah. if it comes from the wrong person delivered in the wrong way at the wrong time it's not going to hit home so actually everyone listening if you can pick a mate who's smart and who understands you and have the chat where you just say look if i'm having a shitstorm, i'm going to ring you and tell you i'm having a shitstorm." Your job then is to shut the fuck up, listen, make sure I know that you understand and then don't tell me what to do but steer me a certain way. And I think if blokes could have at least one mate that does that for them, I think a lot of our stress and mental health problems will actually go away. Absolutely. Mate, that's awesome. Fuck, what a podcast. Did we? I hope we talked about what we're supposed to. We did, didn't we? Like, did we we well, talked I've, about the book. Like, I've, I've had a great I've, time. I've educated myself. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've had a... We did, I, I sucked a, we've sucked a fair bit out of him. Did we talk? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We definitely talked about well, all the I good mean, stuff, didn't we? I mean, stress Teflon. <laughs> Let, let's get it up there on, on, the, on camera. Um, mate. You can get it from I, Amazon. Yeah, um, get, get online, check it out. I'm Amazon I'm, free delivery. It'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, right? I'm a I'm a stress guru, so I I don't do a lot of other social media, but you certainly can find me on LinkedIn or go to lukemathers.com.au. Luke, mate, we can't thank you enough. Um, and mate, I, definitely going to be talking to you about how we can do some stuff with our team. Um, I love this podcast. I love podcasts in general because it creates this opportunity. Yeah, it's I, so good. I, I actually have it. a podcast myself called I'll the let, Reset Podcast. I'm going to drill that as well. So if you go Reset by Luke Mathers, you'll find that on all the podcast <laughs> things. Get around it. But there's something about podcasts is you get to go deep. You know, I, I would never have a conversation like this if we met in the pub oh. because you don't want to be that guy. But when you're on a when you're a guest on a podcast, you're there to be that. There's guy. a me- there's an element of <coughs> it that's a structured conversation. Well, not structured, but it's you're there to have a conversation. You know, you put the headphones on. There's a microphone there. You, like that's what you're there to do. So like this is what we're gonna do. We're here to do it. I can go deep. Love but that. It, it, yeah, but it is interesting how um, yeah, like for the corny, like it's not like it's a safe area for us to all just like let this shit go here. You know what I mean? And that's why yeah, that's why but we love podcasting. N- none of us want to dominate a conversation. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have a. I wouldn't have said as much as I've said today in a normal conversation. And it's one of the things I love. You know, I, I've had friends on my podcast that I've never had as good of conversations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, there's something wonderful. And I think that's why they've got so popular because people get to. You might not be part of that conversation, but you're privy to it. And I think we're all yearning. For yeah, you're just sitting. Next, you're just sitting connection. next. You're just sitting next. You're sitting next to the people at the pub. You want to hear what they're talking about. That's mm. basically what it's like. You're sitting at the table, just listening to them. Yeah, but I, th- I think you know that safety of a tribe. We need to be able to have those conversations, and we need to be able to be okay to be vulnerable and be okay to be able to. You know, I really want to learn from you. I want to be like you, Dan. I want to be curious. I want to, 
I want to understand better ways of looking at things rather than being stuck in I know everything and don't don't threaten you. Know, you talked before yeah. about about toxic masculinity. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be that toxic masculinity. You're always right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you don't want to be that. It continues to blow my fucking head how <laughs> all of every single conversation or topic that you have around anything to do with anything that we've talked about today all intertwines and links with each other it does, in some it? form. It's just, and the more you, yeah, it's great. Fucking love it. Luke, <laughs> but <laughs> mate, this has fucking been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is, we're going to have to wrap, wrap it up. We are going to have to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, fuck me. Two hours. No, there's a there's probably fifteen minutes of that well, that I'll was just, fluff at the yeah, start. Yeah, would have been Aaron, 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 forty five. <laughs> we awesome. can cut it down. That's no, right. no, Luke. Thanks so much for your time. Down. We're never cutting this down. It's all a, it. a feature film. <laughs> thanks so much. Um, yeah, everyone, get online, check out Stress Teflon. Um, yeah, I've I've given one of these uh, into the trademark library, and I'm also taking this one home to finish reading myself. So thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate your time and. Uh, Mate, can't wait to catch up with you again. It's been emotional. Yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate <laughs> it. Been bloody emotional. That was awesome. If I stop, I'll die. <laughs>